and welcome to Media MD, your fortnightly dose of media that you have somehow missed. I'm Ruben Morehouse. And I'm Elliot Diebold. And we are back this fortnight with our second chance to talk about Last Chance to See. A little bit of very poor wordplay there, Elliot. Um, <laughs> so for those, who were, <laughs> for those who weren't with us last fortnight, Last Chance to See is a great little book about what? Um, so this is a book where uh, Douglas Adams and his zoologist friend Mark uh, go through, uh, a, a kind of go on a, a round, around the world trip and try to find a bunch of, uh, almost extinct animals to, you know, write up about them. Um, yeah, just to check so, them out. Yeah. So I, I've got, I've got a little list here of sort of each animal and then also how it's doing today. So I thought it could be fun. Oh to no, it's not going to be super depressing. Is it Elliot? Um, no, it, it, it's, it's slight, it, it it's up and down. Um, okay. So uh, the first sort of little section of the book covers their search for the, uh, I, I guess it's pronounced I.I. or A.A. Uh, Lima. Yes. Um, I have a spoiler on this one because I actually saw some I.I.s in a, in a trip to Japan. They were at a zoo there. So they're very cute animals with big, long fingers. <laughs> yes. Uh, and so they're still endangered in, in the wild. Um, mm. But yeah, so I think it was that trip that was more of a one-off thing that then in the book, Douglas Adams sort of writes that he and Mark had the idea to do the whole global thing a few years later. Um, And so they started that one off. There's a section about Komodo dragons, um, which, you know, are still around. I think it still says there's like 3,000 left on the island. Um, They're still terrifying as as hell. Uh, (laughs) I want to talk about this Komodo dragon trip because this is like, to me, this is my favorite chapter of the book. Um, it's not really about the, like, well, (laughs) we should talk about this. Also, so all the sections are not just about the animal. Like, in fact, I think in most of them, the animal itself probably features for like maybe a third of the chapter. Yeah. Some more than others. Yeah. But it's mostly largely about the journey to find the places where these animals are. And he's often using that as a device to talk about why these animals are in trouble and like like what humanity's encroaching on their habitat has done to these animals while yeah. also just being hilarious anecdotes <laughs> about the wacky people he's meeting along the way yeah um especially i especially like the chapter on these komodo dragons because he he goes to visit them and there's basically this kind of very small little resort where a bunch of um i think they're american tourists are and they're just kind of like engaged with all this kind of kitschy Komodo dragon stuff. <laughs> yeah, well, they... Because they, they have a lot of trouble getting there, him and Mark, and um, then they sort of finally get there and then a boatload of American tourists come in and it turns out not only was there an easy way to get there, but also now they're going to be sort of looking at these Komodo dragons with a truckload of tourists, um, <laughs> which just, like, I think he, he explicitly calls out, like, you know, they had this sense that they were going on this big adventure uh, to yeah. look at these endangered animals and it just completely dispels that sense for them. Um, yeah, yeah. And it's like they've come all this way to see this animal and there's a, there's a part where there's a Komodo dragon right near the uh, right near the kind of touristy area and it eats like a chicken or something and, and the tourists yeah. kind of check it out and then kind of get bored and just wander off. And, <laughs> and Mark and Douglas Adams have come here just to see this crazy animal that's going extinct and... The American tourists just don't seem to care. It's so bizarre. Yeah. Oh, there's there's one moment he specifically calls out when they're looking at the big 10-foot Komodo dragon 
and one American pulls out his binoculars and he's like, oh, if you look at it through this, it looks even bigger. It's like as big as I actually imagined. And all the Americans start sort of taking turns looking at it through the binoculars, even though it's about 30 feet in front of them. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, and I mean, that's, a, that's what this, that whole segment was about sort of how out of touch we can be with some of these marvels of nature because, you know, I think that's the point of explaining in detail how many steps it took for them to get there just yeah. to find out there's an easy way and the people who take that way don't seem to care. Yeah. Yeah. I, what I really like about this book is it, it takes this lens of going to see these animals and kind of each, each different animal that they visit, each chapter just has its own kind of little point that it, that it naturally makes just by the, yeah. the aspect of the journey that they've taken to visit the animal. I think it's a beautifully crafted book. Oh, it's yeah. The writing's fantastic. I mean, it's it's got that classic Douglas Adams humor that I remember loving uh, as as a teenager reading Hitchhikers. Um, but it, it it yeah, each one is its own little story. Um, it's it's almost yeah. like a series of short stories. Yeah. Um, so then, after the Komodo dragon, uh, they head off to see the northern white rhino, uh, which mm. of course was the one that prompted me to go and check on all of them because I remember reading that one went extinct last year, unfortunately. Mm. Um, and things didn't really bode well for it in, uh, in the book because this book's all the way back in 1988. So that was essentially, uh, 30 years later that the white rhino yeah. went extinct. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I think this, <laughs> this, <laughs> I just want to talk about the little themes of each of the chapters now, cause they're all so great. Yeah. So I think this one has my favorite little mini story that he brings up, which is, um, hmm. They're, they're stuck in this international terminal because uh, <laughs> really <laughs> the the whole the whole theme of the white rhino one is basically the reason that the preservation of the white rhinos is failing at the time is because of all the bureaucracy because they live within an area that covers multiple countries mm. um and, and he he so they're stuck in an international terminal waiting and they find this kiosk where a girl's got like chocolate bars and coca-cola and stuff and they're absolutely starving and, and thirsty. So they go up to buy something from her and she just sort of says, no, I can't serve you. And yeah. they, they, they keep pestering her as to why. And it turns out she can only accept the local currency, which no one can have because this is the international waiting terminal where you can't get into right, there's, and there's no currency exchange. So it's basically impossible to end up in this international terminal with local currency. Um, so, yeah, so she just you're sits really there all... determined to visit this kiosk. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. So she, he just talks about how she basically just sits there all day, every day, knowing she will be physically incapable of selling anything. Yeah. Um, and so she's just watching these flies on the wall and, and he makes a point of saying, it's not that the flies were doing anything interesting. It's just that they were doing something. Um, yeah. and then after a few hours, even he was fascinated by the flies just to sort of show how, <laughs> how long they were there for. Yeah, uh, man, and it it kind of it it paints a pretty tragic picture that this is one of the species that's gone extinct from this book, right? Like, yeah, the the biggest threat that these animals face is just people, bureaucracy, nonsense getting in the way of of genuine people who want to like help them, right? Like, each yeah. of these animals has, uh, or most of them are called out explicitly in the book, but they have like people who are devoting their lives to trying to conserve these animals. Um, yeah. It's not like people don't care. People people do care and just things get in the way. Yeah. 
And, and so, mm. in fact, the first half of this chapter is almost not even dedicated to the white rhino, but first they go and visit some uh, highland mountain gorillas mm. um, and, who are facing a similar problem where their small habitat is split between a couple of countries and so they're having problems keeping keeping the poachers out. Um, yeah. Yeah, so it's, it's just a bit of a recurring theme in that one. Um, but anyway, next they go to uh, the southern end of New Zealand mm. uh, to talk about the kakapo, which is this absolutely bizarre sounding bird like the more he the more details he gives you on how this bird operates the more i'm not so sure it's trying to go it's extinct like i felt the same about pandas yeah. in the past um there are some animals that just seem to be going out of their way to not reproduce and the kakapo yeah. is one of them yeah and um i mean you know douglas adams is a science fiction writer I think if you put this, if you put a description of this animal in front of somebody and said, "Hey, Douglas Adams wrote about this," they'd be like, "Yeah, of course, science fiction yeah. animal sounds. Yep, yeah, it's funny. It shouldn't exist. Totally science fiction. Yeah, why not?" Yeah, it would fit. It would fit in perfectly with the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy universe, which is not yeah. something anything real should do. <laughs> um, yeah, but yeah. So the so the kakapo is actually doing better than it was. I think I, I read that there were 148 uh on those island sanctuaries um and i think back in the book when the book was written they were talking about there only being like 40 so they've you know almost yeah. quadrupled the number in in 30 years which is good I, I i really like this chapter so we haven't talked about this yet but the book has photos so mark Carwardine, the biologist um it comes up in the book that he kind of takes photos of things and he's very overjoyed by everything that they find and yeah in the version i have at least there are colored photos just in the book kind of throughout no, it yeah my mine has that too i was going to bring it up because um i really liked the idea as a as an inclusion um and it worked really well for me because at least in my copy uh there's sort of four sets of photographs mm. and the first set um is all pictures of the komodo dragons and it's actually in the middle of the komodo dragon chapter Mm. Um, but unfortunately it got a bit more disjointed from there. So then the rest, the second set of photos in mine is from the final chapter. And then the <laughs> third set covers like the third and fourth and the last set covers or the fifth or something. But it, it was like, I, I, I get that. I think they're put like in four sets in the quarters of the book because that's like a production issue, but it's yeah. a shame they couldn't chuck them at the end of the chapters because it was great. Yeah. What I found myself doing was finishing a chapter and then going to look at all the photos to really get yeah. a sense of like matching it up. Um, yeah. And, thing, and that was just a little the, bit tricky to do this way. Um, but yeah. yeah, it's a great inclusion <laughs> for sure. Well, the thing I like about it so much is, especially in the Kakapo tra- uh, chapter, we kind of learn about this guy who who just spends his whole life being a Kakapo tracker. He has a dog that he's trained to find Kakapos, right? Kakapos, yeah. whatever. Um, and, and he's constantly, like, uh, Douglas Adams is constantly hammering in this guy's physical description, mostly focusing on the beard. Um, Douglas Adams yeah. has an obsession with this guy's beard. Yeah. And and there's a photo in there of something that happens where they find a, a kakapo, a kakapo, and, and him and the dog and the kakapo are just kind of all cu- nuzzled up together. And, and I love this because you you get to that part of the book, you look at the photo, and it's just like, Man, this is so real, especially in that chapter, yeah. which I think is the most ludicrous of all of them. <laughs> it, it just hammers home like one of the points of this book that is nature is so fucking weird and strange and beautiful, and like it, yeah. it it's yeah, man, that that part really affected me. No, I agree. That was one of my favorite sets of photos to come across. Is after hearing in vivid detail in the pages about 
um, how the bird latched onto his finger and stuff, then you you get to see that, and it just really solidifies <laughs> the experience. Yeah, this um, this bird just kind of biting onto his finger and holding on as a way of yeah. <laughs> demonstrating affection, because that's just the kind of weird thing that it does. Uh, uh, yeah, and so then so then from there they next head into uh, China. Um, and they try to find the, uh, I hope I'm pronouncing this right, Baiji, uh, which mm. is the Yangtze River Dolphin, um, basically, which mm. unfortunately is is the second one that's uh, actually gone extinct. Um, so the book actually talks quite promisingly about all the efforts they're trying to put in to save the River Dolphin back in the 80s, but uh, unfortunately those didn't those didn't work out. Um, but yeah, this yeah. this chapter was a was an interesting one because this is the one where he really talks about how I think I, I I thought this one was all about sort of distance and communication issues. Um, this is really one where they struggle to get their point across about what they're trying to do. There's a great anecdote about uh, when they realize they want to record some of the sound underwater. They the only way they can think of to waterproof the microphone is to wrap a condom around it. So they basically have to travel all around town trying to find a condom, um, which which uh, leads to some awkward exchanges, um, yeah. particularly when they try to explain that they want to use it for the dolphins, not for each other, um, <laughs> and it doesn't translate quite quite right. Uh, yeah. But yeah. Uh, so so yeah. So this this chapter was a bit of a downer to read the the aftermath, but um, yeah. yeah, yeah. And so I, then oh. yeah. It's a sad one. I mean, <laughs> the image I like from this chapter, or not I like, but the image that affect that like the powerful image in this chapter is these dolphins who who live in the the Yangtze River have really powerful like echolocation, and mm. that was great. And so they're blind. They're like underwater bats, right? They're blind and they navigate by echolocation, and yeah. that was great when the boat wasn't before the industrialized era. But but now that the river is like full of boats, they just can't see they can't survive and they're just in this world of like constant noise and danger that they can't navigate yeah oh exactly they're they were 100 percent victims of rapid um uh human expansion or human yeah. technological expansion um yeah and so then and then finally they head to uh again i hope i'm pronouncing this right uh the mauritius islands um to so they specifically go there to look at some fruit bats uh which they then get convinced aren't really important by the local <laughs> preservationists. Um, yeah. So so to summarize the bats, I think when they get there, there's about a thousand of the bats left. Um, whereas I read in a, in 2015, they're actually a hundred thousand and they've started culling them now. So, Oh, wow. Success. Uh, yeah. Um, except they're apparently culling them back down to the point where the UN wants to list them as endangered again. So... <laughs> <laughs> uh kind of kind of sounds like a bit of a yo-yo going on yeah. um over there's there. a but middle ground there people <laughs> uh they're culling them back down to fifty thousand, so that's still you know 50 times mm. what was there mm. um in the 80s uh but then there was also the pink pigeon they talked about that's back up to vulnerable which is the level above endangered i think yeah uh and there was a kestrel that's uh there were only like 15 left and now there's 400 but they're suffering from some inbreeding issues because they're the population got so small, even though they've grown it back up, some recessive genes have uh, oh. popped out a bit more, which is a bit Ooh. of a bummer. But um, yeah. it sounds like they're on the up and up. Yeah. So they 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 visit um, to try and find these bats, and the people that are conserving animals there are basically like, these bats are not the most endangered thing here. Like, <laughs> yeah. There's so much cooler stuff that you could be checking out. Um, and so they kind of get convinced to check out a bunch of other things too. 
Yeah, and that's really you know the the theme that this story, um, or yeah, this this mini story's theme is uh, there's so many more of these problems out here than just what this book is. Like, this book does not cover the seven or eight endangered species that are out there. Mm. There's hundreds, and that's sort of what this book is like. For everyone that's getting attention, there's a bunch that aren't, um, and that's really encapsulated by them going there. Like, yeah, there's only like a thousand of these bats left, and these people are like we're constantly working with birds and there's about 20 of them left and here are some trees yeah. there's only eight eight of them left um yeah well yeah it really the, hammers that idea this home. covers plant uh sorry this book covers a lot of animal conservation effort but then there's like plants that are going endangered and all kinds of things um, yeah and so, and so it very much finishes the book on this idea that like we've only scratched the the surface yeah. of of what needs to be done yeah we've spent a lot of time talking about animal conservation which makes sense but and and that's kind of what drew me to to read this book in the first place. But this book is so much more than that. It's so it's <laughs> yeah. I really had trouble describing it back in our prescription because it is like it's so funny and it's so poignant about like humanity <laughs> as well as just oh, being yeah. a great book about visiting all these animals. A comedic science fiction writer like Douglas Adams was a perfect choice for a book like this to tackle an intense topic in a way that is both insightful but also brings some joy to it um yeah he he was a terrific writer to choose for something like this yeah yeah um, i mean i, I mean yeah. often i i because i'm a huge fan of um like david attenborough type things like planet earth blue planet a lot of those uh those sort of nature documentaries um <clears throat> and i very much got a similar sense just reading this book as i do while watching those ones um mm. so i think like douglas adams ability to convey the the like majesty and, and and power of nature uh through the written word was quite impressive yeah um so we've kind of summarized the plot of the book <laughs> Elliot, if that even can be said um what did you think yeah uh no i i really enjoyed this so like i said it was like a written planet earth experience which um i you know i loved planet earth and i loved this um very well written uh yeah just great concept and great execution mm. um i mean i yeah i mean to to give a number to it um i'd give it an eight and a half out of ten i reckon like i would wholeheartedly recommend this to to people who are interested in this sort of thing yeah, I I don't even know that I would put the qualifier of this sort of thing on it because I've described this book to people before and I almost have to lie about what the main concept is because <laughs> people think, oh, it's about conservation, <laughs> right? But, yeah. And it is, but it's like, <laughs> it's so it's so much more, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, still, eight and a half is a good score and I'm very proud that it has earned such a high <laughs> <laughs> rating. <laughs> I don't know. I lost the train of where that sentence was going a bit. Um, well, okay. it's your turn, Elliot. What do you got? What do you yeah. got for me? So I'm bringing you a 2006 movie uh, titled Apocalypto. Um, so just to kind of address the elephant in the room and, and rip the Band-Aid off, so to speak, uh, it's it's written, produced, and directed by Mel Gibson, who isn't my favorite person. Oh, um, oh yeah. Wow. <laughs> but he has it's a very good movie so it's i you know i encourage people to give it a chance despite its its uh creator written um, directed and produced you said yes starring or not starring no so in fact um this brings me to the next point the reason i i think this movie is great is it, it's set in 
um, 16th century uh, South America um, just okay. before just before the um, arrival of uh, the Spanish invasion. Um, mm. And it stars a complete cast of like native um, people from that region. So uh, I'm not sure what the exact terms are because it's all changed. Um, but you know, it, it's all it's all people from Mexico and South America mm. playing all the roles. And in fact, it the entire movie is in a modern approximation of what the Mayan language was at that time. Interesting. Um, so, so historical accuracy is sort of actually a big feature of it, and it's been praised on a lot of fronts for that. Um, so it's essentially a story about Mayan, um, the, the Mayan colonization of the nearby uh, sort of hunter-gatherer tribes. Um, and I, I probably don't need to tell you much more about the plot. It's, it's definitely it's like an epic action movie, but it's really well shot. Uh, it's got a great, a great sort of backing of historical accuracy and stuff and actually comes together really well. I, I've really enjoyed it. I think I was in the complete wrong frame of mind for this movie because when you say Apocalypto, I think like it sounds like a big budget superhero movie to me. <laughs> or like a, you know, Mel Gibson is attached, so maybe it's some kind of Mad Max thing. But mm. <laughs> that's really not what this is at all. It seems like no, this is um, it, it is still an action movie. Like uh, I, I don't want to, I don't want to sort of undersell how how it's it is driven by the sort of action. But the action it provides the stage for it to do all of this historical reenactment stuff, which is actually quite quite well done, and, and it provides commentary, which we'll probably be able to go into a bit more in two weeks. Hmm. Mm. Okay. Uh, but yeah, so so give it a chance, despite where it comes from. Yeah. It, yeah. Man, what a roller coaster this prescription has been. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest. Uh, so I guess we'll see how we do uh, next fortnight with Apocalypto. Yeah. Ooh. Um, well, that's the end of Media MD for this fortnight, Elliot. Yes. Uh, now, (laughs) (laughs) sorry. (laughs) Um, so let's talk about our other podcast because we don't just have Media MD anymore. No, that's right. We're also running a new podcast called Deep Impact, uh, where we're going through Wild Bo's packed, uh, web serial chapter by chapter and, uh, you know, really analyzing it, uh, as much as we can. Yeah, if you've ever listened to an episode of Media MD and thought, man, that was good, but I wish they talked about this thing for about a thousand a and times a half. as much, <laughs> yeah, uh, then Deep Impact is the is the show for you. It's it's a book that we both really love, um, or I really love, and Elliot so far is loving it, I guess. Yeah, so far, so far it's great, but I'm only about 10 chapters in, so you never yep. know. Um, so definitely check it out. Uh, obviously, the show is going through it chapter by chapter, so start from the beginning, but... Um, yeah, Deep Impact, so other show, you should check it out. And if you want to check it out, you can head on to our website, which is mediamdpodcast.com. From there, you can find links to our Twitter and Facebook, um, or things like leaving us a review on iTunes, checking out all of these cool things, past discussion threads, ways to contact us. Hey, if you if you watch Apocalypto, you can send us an email and we will kind of engage with you and, and potentially read out comments from our listeners on, on the movie or book that we talk about on the show. Um, you should do that. Yeah. If you want to do that, head over on to MediaMDPodcast.com. Um, yeah, ways to contact us, discussion threads. Oh, and all of the previous clues for the MediaMD ARG. You can help us figure out just who is Dr. MD and why is this earth so slowly being drained of any beauty by the very creatures who should be protecting it. Elliot, why don't you tell the listeners this fortnight's clue? Chocolate. Chocolate. And we will see you next fortnight. Chocolate.